Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 167 with Michael Beveridge. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at MickeyB273, M-I-C-K-Y-B-273. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being a part of the show. This show is brought to you, as it is every week, by the good people at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who supports the show there. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And if you support the show, you are helping me pay my audio person, uh, Andy Ma, who's my producer and my production coordinator, Haley Van Spanier, and the two of these people help me bring you this show each and every week. Um, yeah, because it's like a semi-professional operation now. So thank you very much for helping make it happen. Um, thank you very much to everybody that sent in a Podsy this week. A Podsy is a photograph taken with the phone that you're listening to this on. Just listen right now. Pick your phone up out of your pocket. Flip the camera open. Take a picture of what you're looking at. Send it to me. Send osher email at gmail.com or get me on Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter. Always love to see them. They're always very, very fun. Um, hope you're okay this week. Um, just to check in, I've started something new this week. Um, I was getting pretty uh, sleepy. Well, naturally, I mean, my alarm goes off at 10 to 4. And I was complaining to Audrey, my wife, that um, I was uh, feeling s slow off the mark still uh, at 6 o'clock when the show, radio show I'm on um, goes to air. And uh, she just mentioned, listen, you're just going to have to get up and you're just going to have to work out in the morning. Um, so you get all the, you know, all the juices flowing. So by the time you get on air, everything is everything is dandy. And so, with a bit of inspiration, 
I guess that's, you know, a good thing that Instagram is Instagram is good for is a bit of inspiration uh, from my friend Rich Roll. He's very much about, um, what is his latest thing? Build the house. So you build the house brick by brick and every day you work out is another brick for the thousands and thousands of bricks that make the house. So alarm went off at 3.25 a.m. and um, I just worked out for 20 minutes, something really simple, just kettlebell swings, which you've probably seen on YouTube and stuff like that. Just kettlebell swings on the minute, every minute, 10 swings, did it for 20 minutes and then on the way. And even in only a week, I've noticed a big difference, not only in my body, but also in how my brain's responding um, when I do get on air. So that, you know, I do like to uh, listen to what my wife says. Um, I've talked about this on the show before that the best ideas I had uh, ended up with my life not working very well. So when I stopped trying to think that I had the best ideas about everything and started listening to other people, things got better. And listening to my wife there and listening to what she says and going to bed earlier and getting up earlier and doing some workout before I go to work has actually worked out. So uh, thanks, baby. <laughs> um, it is good. I am feeling better. I'm feeling a bit more awake and I'm trying to get on the bike in the afternoons as well, um, which, is, which is helping. Uh, speaking of bicycles, I might have... I might have bought a new one, but I'll talk about that next week. We've yet to see, yet yet to, yet to have a visit with the, the new, the new bicycle in my house. I have been feeling a lot better lately, um, and the trick about being on medication, daily medication for um, your mental health, is that when the meds really start to work, you actually start to feel pretty normal. Yeah, actually, you're no longer driven by, in my experience, I'm no longer driven by panic and fear and cycling with episodes of depression and obsession. Um, you actually feel kind of okay. And then it's just, so you're feeling normal, pretty normal. Well, you look around and you, you, you look and you, you feel like everybody else looks, if that makes sense. And then it's just you and the side effects of the drugs. Uh, so that can happen, you know, from anything to do with weight gain, to do with sexual function, to do with, you know, sleep. And then, so then it's just you with the side effects and you think, oh, these side effects suck. I might think about cutting back on these meds. And oh, I've certainly done it in the past where I did talk to my doctor about it. And I recommend that you would too, if you're on this, in this situation, but I did talk to my doctor about it, and when I was feeling kind of normal again, I came back down off my meds because at the point, at that point, it was just me feeling normal, living with these side effects, and the side effects became the kind of constant downer on my day, not the the mood situation that I was in. Yeah, but that didn't work out, <laughs> as if long-term listeners to this podcast will know, it didn't work out very well, but. Um, this last week, getting up early, managing my food a lot better, working out every morning, working out every afternoon, trying to get at least six or seven hours sleep, well, six, I started feeling pretty good again. And then, um, I thought, man, these side effects suck. I might talk to my doctor about coming back off the side effect, coming back off the drugs because the side effect sucks because I'm doing really great. And I just forget, you know, that I'm doing really great because I'm on the meds. This fallacy that has that happens in my brain as my brain's trying to think it's doing really great. Because I'm doing really great. But I'm not doing really great. 
it's the meds that are helping me do really great. And if the biggest problem in my life is the side effects, then I'm actually doing okay. And I just have to remind myself of that because I was feeling pretty good the last couple of days, but then um, yesterday morning and this morning, I just got super triggered and uh, kind of woke up in fear again. And that sucks as anyone that has lived with it does. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. That's right. I've got this fucking brain that does shit. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm going to meet with my psychiatrist this week, I think, over Skype because I can't see him in person because I'm up in Brisbane. I'll have a chat about it. But the the best days... The worst days of me just living with the side effects are still better than the best days of me trying to live with the illness, if that makes sense. And it's just trying to gain a perspective on the fact that I feel okay because I'm on the meds. And oh, I don't know if this is kind of difficult to explain. That it's that trick that your brain plays on you, that you're doing fine, man. Look, you're back to normal. Everything's cool. Stop taking these drugs. And that's where I get into trouble. So that's kind of where I am at the moment. Um, unfortunately, I had to deal with the, the grim mornings yesterday and today uh, to remind me that, ha <laughs> no, no, you're not actually, you're not actually doing that okay. So that, yeah. Anyway, I'm doing way better than I was. I'm doing way better than I was, and I'm I'm super grateful that I have a, a, a woman in my life that loves me very much and is kind enough to deal with me when I'm not having a great day. And yeah, she most certainly knew what she was buying when she married me, which I'm also still kind of flummoxed by. Yeah, I'm really lucky. But you know, onward and upward, just got to remember what was feeling good and repeat what was feeling good. So get up in the morning, eat right work out right, be a worker amongst workers at work, do the very best that I can each day, live with a purpose, and then try and get to sleep early, and just repeat. And that's all I really have to do, and I should be okay. Because I can't influence anything, man. I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again, you know, I can't influence world politics. Shit, I can't influence, even influence national politics. All I can influence is the world around me. It's my wife, my kid, my work, my community of friends. That's all I can do. And if I can influence those people in a positive way, then my world becomes a more positive place. So that's all I'm trying to do right now. Yeah. That and not read Twitter too much. <laughs> Oh, boy. Let me tell you about my guest today. Michael Beveridge is an Australian uh, broadcaster who's best known to breakfast audiences from his national weekend show that he did, also from his national night show uh, on uh, YouTube Hits, which he hosted up until the end of 2016, about four months before I'm, I'm recording this. Originally, he came to attention of Australians from his stint as a housemate on Big Brother in 2012, and uh, 
uh, he has joked about this, that the hardest part of getting into radio was getting into reality TV, which is very funny because uh, there's a, a skit that Tony Martin did years ago on a station called Triple R about Gary Sizzle, who was this uh, play on uh, big-voiced program directors, uh, radio program directors in the Australian FM radio industry. And someone asked him, what's the best way to get into radio? And he said, get into telly. <laughs> Have you ever been on Big Brother? Can you get on Big Brother? Um but yeah, Michael is, is very honest and open about how he got into radio, and he's very good at it. But they don't give jobs to radio, don't give radio jobs to people for fun. He's very, very good at what he does, and uh, he originally came to Australia's attention on Big Brother, and um, and then he got he got a gig from there. He talks about that in this show. He's prolifically funny on Twitter, as I mentioned before. You can find him at Mickey B two seven three. That's Mickey with a Y. Um, he and I caught up in Melbourne at the end of 2016. He was in a bit of limbo, as often happens in this world of, of broadcasting, um, and his employment status came up quite a bit during our conversation. So, you know, we did go there, and it is important because unemployment and underemployment is a big part of working in radio and television, particularly in television where unless you work on the news or a morning show, you work for 10 to 12 weeks at a time, and that's it. Um then you've got to find something else to do for the rest of the year to keep the money coming in because you've probably got a mortgage and shit, um, which is why someone like me goes for a radio job as well to keep the money coming in because otherwise you're, you're trying to manage uh, a lump. You know, you're trying to ma manage money for the other nine months of the year when you're not working and you may not even come back for another season. So um, unemployment and underemployment is a, is a part of working in radio and television and in radio, you're only as good as your last survey, really. So radio, you're kind of six weeks <laughs> apart from moments where they'll make a decision about your employment status. So, you know, it's, it's like other jobs, but I guess because there's so few broadcasting jobs that it, it is it is tricky sometimes. But Michael is, he is an incredibly funny man. He's incredibly funny. He's so smart. He's so, so, so smart. And he's very, very quick. Is one of these people who I think the punchlines come out of his mouth before he's even had a chance to process them. Um, he's he's very very quick, and it's a it, it, it was a trick trying to keep up with him. I'm not going to lie. He's a, he's a quick he's a quick guy, but he and I had a good chat. I'm really grateful that he came on the show. Um, so enjoy this conversation with uh, Michael Beveridge on a lovely sunny Melbourne afternoon. Thanks for coming up to the beautiful place that we are. I've, I've been here several times before when I used to fly in and out of Melbourne. Yeah. And this place is fantastic. They'll upgrade you like that. It's crazy. They're so good. It's a beautiful hotel. Do, we say the, do you say the name to get any points? Oh, no, no. Like, I, was, I once went to the Olsen, which is uh, across the road from Channel 10 here. The commercial, on Commercial Road? No, on... Um, oh, that's the Cullen. The Olsen is... The one opposite the Como. Right. And um, they put me... They upgraded me to a penthouse that was so big, I was calling Audrey going, can you fly down? Unnecessary size. Because I've got a spa bath I can do laps in. Yeah. You turn the jets on and you swim against the current. What? One of those? Yeah. Holy shit. On the roof. Well, big, big shout out to the Art Series Hotels for uh, giving you a lap pool and somewhere yeah. for the mates to stay. But it was freezing it. and I didn't use it. Oh, you must have been in the off-season. And I sat at the table for 10 with Jane Kennedy and did a podcast. Hell, that's but, pretty good. But here we are sitting at a table for two, which is still quite nice. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up? Brizzy. 
Brio, Queensland. Brio de Janeiro. Well, started in Mount Isa. Then uh, I was there till I was there till six. We grew up in a brothel there, which I didn't know, but I realised later on in life. That's why we had six jacuzzis. Uh, then we went to Emerald. Grew up on the Emerald Ag College for five years. Then went to Townsville. Did two years in Townsville, and then went to Marist in Brisbane. And I went to boarding school there because my father moved to the Middle East. And then, uh, and yeah, and then went to QUT. I believe it was LEG that said rewind. Okay. Mount Isa is a mining community in the uh, really, really fucking hot part of Queensland. Yeah, next to Cloncurry, which has got the highest recorded temperature, if not in the world, Australia, over 52 is what it got to. That's, fu- that's hot. That's, f- that's, that's fucked. So, really, a brothel? Yeah, yeah. We grew up in, I mean, my family weren't well off to start with. Mum had me when she was 20. Uh, her and dad met. They broke up three months after I was born. So I've never even seen them in a room together. Uh, both fantastic loving parents did the best they could but mum met Yuri who was I guess a boilermaker slash ex-bikey who has come very good but they didn't have a lot of money Uh, I think Yuri was just doing boilermaking mum was looking after us because we were two young idiot kids Uh, and we lived in a house which I was like it's a house you know and we have lots of red jacuzzis and there would be people banging on the door at 2am all the time and we ne- I would just never know why. I mean, you're six, you don't understand people want to pay money for sex. So it just never came into my head. But, uh, yeah, that was – I don't – people are like, oh, that must have affected you. I'm like, no, I was six, four, four five, six. I didn't – it had no effect on me whatsoever. Who, what were your parents – what was your, your mum and Yuri doing there? It must have been the cheapest house they could find. An ex-brothel, I assume – uh, oh, an ex-brothel, not a brothel. Okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. The X is very important. You forgot that part. Very crucial. Yes, yeah. it was an ex. It was a, a recently deceased brothel. Oh. So people, obviously the internet wasn't around, so farmers weren't know, to know that it was closed. Yeah. So they hadn't really gotten rid of anything on the inside, so the decor was all very crushed velvet wallpaper, uh, and which I thought was normal for so long. I'm like, crushed velvet. Why wouldn't you have that as a wallpaper? That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah and the farmers and people knocking on the door at 2am. And It's funny. I lived in a I lived in an ex-brothel house in Brisbane. Whereabouts? In Kangaroo Point. Oh, yeah. And it was uh, two streets up from the pineapple. <sighs> Glorious Second pineapple. on the right. Two streets up from the... Towards the Gabba or away from towards the Towards the Gabba. Two streets up from the on the right. Just before the KFC. Uh, yeah, after right. the pineapple hotel. Yeah. So, you know, I we were just in a... In How a, old were you? Uh, 20? Oh yeah, twenty one. I was right. twenty one. I was me and my girlfriend at the time. We lived there, huh. but there were sinks in the bar in the bedroom. Sinks in the bedroom for dick washing, of course. Of course, you got to give yourself a dick bath. You never know yeah. what's going to happen. And um, but same, same. Yeah. You know, it was pre-internet, pre-broadband internet. Yeah, and um, pre-mobile phones. So on the run, pre, you couldn't pre-mobile do it. phones. You know, blokes who'd been coming to Brisbane for years were just on the. How do you deal with on that? the front door late at night? Blokes coming around. Surely you'd just put a sign up, wouldn't you? It's not a brothel anymore. Yeah. Ex-brothel. Yeah, maybe. Or do they think the brothel's playing hard to get and have to knock harder? I don't know. <laughs> if I was 16 Milton Mangoes deep, I'd go, yeah, I'm a little bit harder, a bit busy. <laughs> okay, so at six, you and mum and Yuri mm. were like, you know, this is fun being in Mount Isa, love a mining community. I don't think anyone ever said it was fun. <laughs> being in a mining community that is really hot and smells like Cartesian Basin water. Yeah. You know where we should go? Oh, we should go to somewhere even hotter. <laughs> Emerald. Let's, let's go to Emerald. Now, Emerald is, I've got, Emerald, I, there's a big place in my heart for central Queensland and that's where I technically consider myself from. Uh, I went to all my primary school there and my grandfather and all my family owned cattle property 
uh, at Springshore and around that area. We actually grew up in the gem fields for two years, but I just say emerald because it's a bit easier. Uh, on an ag college too. So I've got farming blood that runs deep, mm-hmm. but I'm a wanker hipster, like crazy. So it's really an odd, yeah. you know, I've gone fencing, I've mustered, I've, I've done it all when I was a lot younger uh, and it's great. And I wouldn't, the problem is that I have, if I ever have a child, is I'm going to have to take them to the country because there's no better way for a kid to be brought up. Why is they good about it? You can, you know, take your kid out and teach them about life and shooting and things. You can make them work really hard and appreciate any spare time that they have. You can get them through no internet and go, just go outside and play, go out and do, th- do something. And it's not that I don't like the internet or electronics. I, you know, I got a Pentium 386 when I was eight and I think that's where I started loving video games. But uh, I just... I don't think anyone could have had a better upbringing than me. And, of course, it's subjective, but that's what I believe. Mm. I love the way I was brought up. I love the, the fact that I was catching snakes. I love the fact that I was getting bit by snakes. I love that I had 25 ducks and 23 of them died in horrific ways. And that taught me a lot about life. You know, ducks don't belong in the Queensland outback because kookaburras rip their heads off and you have to bury them several times. I didn't know that kookaburras were... So species. bastards. I thought they only went after snails and lizards and... Ducklings they will go hard at. Mm. And it's like they didn't even eat it. It was just they wanted to rip its head off purely to upset seven-year-old Michael Beveridge. Right. I once played guitar sitting on a rock in the dam near Emerald. The Fairburn Dam? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful dam. And it's a shit dam, but it's the only dam we've got, really, so it's subjective. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a nice area. I think the people there are amazing. Uh... And my family come from there, so it's just got a soft spot for me. So your mum's family was from there? Yeah, you know, Winton, Dysart, Thierry, you know, uh, that whole area. You know, to us, Rocky was the big smoke. Uh-huh. Rockhampton we're Rockhampton, talking about. Yeah, Rockhampton. Which is about 500 kilometres east? Uh, yeah, it's about a four-hour drive. Yeah. That's all I remember. 400. Whatever. 400 and something kilometres east. Uh, not, if you, not if you go 150. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know, and that's, that we always consider that to be the city. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I went to Brisbane for my first time, it was like, New- you remember the first time you went to New York? I do. And it just, what? Yeah. What? And that's yeah. what Brisbane in, yeah. in 1995 was like for me. Yeah. I was like, what? We went to Daily Planet. That was my very first thing. Daily Planet, the comic book shop. Yeah. And I bought a, an A4 Kodak print of Shaquille O'Neal that I still have to this day. How did you know about the NBA living in Emerald? Basketball cards. Ah. NBA hoops. Up Before the internet. Before the internet. It was just that they were at the news agency. So when mum would go and get a scratchy or the newspaper, I'd get, uh, I'd get a packet of basketball cards. And that's what I was into. So 1990 to 1995 NBA, I am unparalleled in my stats knowledge. Did you watch live games? Never. I couldn't watch live games. Like, I've never seen a game before in my entire life. But, uh, you know, if they were playing it on, I remember there was a sports show on t- Channel 10 after, cha- after video hits. Mm-hmm. They had some sport and occasionally they'd have some highlights of Michael Jordan doing some stuff. And that's about as close as I got. Uh, and my brother went to Jurassic Park cards. Uh-huh. So he had Mr. DNA and I had Dr. O, you know. It was a fantastic little combination. Right. Yeah. And how old were you when, I'm guessing you got in trouble at school for talking lots? Yeah, I always wanted to entertain. I always wanted to make people laugh. That was just my end goal. I knew I was a smart kid, but primary school, I mean, I always, I was in year five when I was in year one. 
because I was my mum made me read from about three, mm-hmm. and we would. I was doing a book a night. You know, I was. I remember I read Watership Down when I was five, and that was it. Wasn't a huge book, but it was like a. It's a pretty serious it, concept. It's, it's, yeah, it was, and I was like, I just love reading, and I got to. Uh, so I was six years old, and I was in year five with all these ten-year-olds. And everything was easy. Anything literary and written and comprehensive was just so easy. And then long division came along. <laughs> long division came along and I was just like, this isn't, it's very logical. I was like, this isn't necessary and I don't need to do it. And Mrs. Cram was like, no, you do need to do it. And I was like, we can do it on a calculator. It's unnecessary. She said, if you're doing it, you're going to fail. And I'd never failed anything at this point. And I had a mental breakdown and I was six or seven years old and I didn't go to school for six months because I couldn't stop crying. I'd go to school and I'd start crying every day. Because it was so hard? No, no, just because I I think I failed at something and I wasn't smart anymore because I couldn't do this one thing that even idiots could do. Wow. I just couldn't fathom it. And, yeah, I just I went into this weird crying spiral where I would just cry every day. How did your parents deal with that? Um, I think I've blacked out a bunch of it because I can't really remember why I stopped. I think maybe I just worked hard at long division and I figured it out. I, was, I stopped being a petulant brat and I was like, I will work on the problem instead of just saying I can't do it. Maybe. That hasn't transferred to real life now. <laughs> but uh, it must have been that, really. I don't know how to do long division now, but I've stopped crying. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I figured that out. Wow. Was Yuri still around? Yeah, Yuri's, they've both... Both mum and dad got a partner when I was maybe two or three or four, uh-huh. and they've married and had families with those people. Okay. Yeah, so it's been consistently, like, I've had two families ever since. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So what was it like going to school being the, not only the smallest kid but the youngest kid by half? I was a big boy. Uh-huh. I hit puberty when I was 10. Uh, I used to play state rugby union. I was a prop. Huh. Yeah, for North Queensland. Uh, and then played like did the state trials, and I was just a big boy, so it wasn't really that hard. I was always just a terrifying giant ginger not, not, coming at you. Yeah, well, there was no ginger bullying at my schools because I was like, <laughs> get flipped, mate. These are my people, and I don't support any sort of ostracism based on our hair color. Go have a go at the stinky kid that smells like piss. Um, did an actual shit on the school floor, like just in the classroom, just do shit. I was like, wow. Oh, oh, see, we have something similar in that my folks were, as academics, my folks, it was just normal for them to speak to their kids as adults and teach us to read as young kids. And I remember going to grade one and sitting there, I was, for a start, I was only one year older, one year younger than everybody else in grade one. Mm. So I started grade one when I was four. Where at? uh, In Kenmore, Brisbane. And I'm talking like reading, writing, math, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember on the first day, uh, the teacher sat me down and she gave me this little kind of comprehension test and like, well, let's just see where you are. Yeah. And I was like, just aced it. And she goes, oh, I think you'll be fine. You'll be all right, kid. You'll be, you'll be good. And I looked to my left and there's some kid eating a crayon. <laughs> Pretty it's much. It's like when Bart goes to Canada. Eating a crayon <laughs> and taking a shit in his pants. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I just kind of took. As a kid, you think everything is like what you experience it. You only know uh, what you can relate to. Kids have got to. like maybe 50 words to use and they're five and they're being given to the state to educate. It's so important for parents to give their kids books. I think reading as a young kid as, is the most important things in terms of comprehension, understanding, not even just literacy, but just having a breadth of knowledge and a breadth of a vocabulary. Without a vocabulary, how do you grow? Because you don't know the words to ask questions. You don't know the words to uh, learn and... Um, 
I love the education system back in the day. It's like we've got a borderline, like, kid, special needs kid, and you've got a freak genius. Let's put him in the same class. No, it's not like they think that the the special needs kid will be brought up. He's not going to because he needs special help. It's not like you'll bring the class up. You're just going to get ADD and be so bored yeah. that you're going to set something on fire. Is that what happened? Did you just get super bored? Yeah, I got super bored. And, you know, I had ADHD as well, which, you know, wasn't so, like helpful. But uh, I'm the, like, if it was something... And I think you would be the same. If it's something that you've got a genuine interest in and you can find an angle that interests you, you're okay. But anytime maths came in, I think you, some, a lot of people know at a young age that maths is never going to be involved in anything in their life. And for some teachers, that's really difficult to take. And I remember when I went into senior at school, I said, I'm not doing math. And they said, oh, you have to do math. And I said, no, no, I looked at the rules. You don't have to do math. The private school, religion and English is the only thing you need a year 12, edu- 12 pass in. They're like, damn it, <laughs> he knows the secret. And there were two other people that did it. One, his name is Bruno Boucher. Uh, Shut up. Yeah. Bruno, the radio producer. Bruno, the radio producer. He's a very talented man, very clever human. I was the best man at his wedding. Him and I have been very good friends for a long time. Wow. We started doing radio together when we were about 13, 14. Political talk back on I-11, 97 AM. He was the crazy liberal. I was the flaming lefty. Uh, and they're both people, and I'm not saying I'm a successful person at all, but I've got an idea and an understanding of what it is that I want to do, and we just know that maths has no relevance to it. And I think that young people who can take a hold of their education and their future and not just say, I'm going to be a, a, a writer, but know that they're going to be in a field that doesn't involve math, I think that's a teacher should see that and go, oh, you're clever. You know what's going on, you know, so let's, let's, let's look into what you can do as, you know, future jobs. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't break down for six months and not able to go, but <laughs> well, I remember, yeah. I definitely remember when it was the, the, the grade 10 maths when that showed up. The and it was... Math A, was it Math A? Something like that. Yeah. They put it letters was, next to it, which is even more confusing. Yeah, yeah. I just, when it came to like really complicated algebra and quadratic equations and shit like that, it demoralized me so much that I didn't figure I couldn't figure it out. It beats I could you figure down. Out everything else. Like yeah. physics, I mean biology, music, history, all that stuff I was pretty good in. But because I sucked so much at this, it made me feel that I was just stupid. Yeah. And, and when you saw didn't try. I didn't try everything else then. The meathead jocks passing it really well. Hurt, would it, it would you just me. be like, what the f like I can understand the emotional, you know, logistics behind the beer hall putsch. And I can get why, you know, uh, bloody Caligula did X and Y. And, like, I can get the narrative structure of these things, which nobody else can really understand. Well, you know, a bunch of kids could. But when it comes to understanding that A plus B squared equals... And I'm like, what the fuck? Why? And I realize, like, I wish I could have gone back to me and gone, don't worry. Don't worry. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Trust me. Focus on telling a narrative. Yeah. Developing the story. You know, yeah. being being kind to people—that's what's gonna—that's <laughs> what's gonna help you out in the long run. Trust me. Not algebra. Yeah, I mean, I had to do a business degree at QUT because I realised that well, they took away the arts degree, yeah. uh, and I was originally going to go over and work in America. And a, a business degree is what gives you the visa. They see that as a technical degree, and so I had to transfer from arts over to uh, business. And in a business degree that you've got to do your core subjects and there's a thing called quantitative financial statistics. That's a core subject. I felt that for four years in a row. 
kept trying, kept trying, kept trying because I needed this degree. I've never wanted anything more than to finish this undergrad degree. Well, I don't know if it was to make my dad happy or to make me happy, but I just needed it. I was like, if I have a business degree, I've achieved something and I've stuck to, stuck to something. And I eventually just paid this Asian kid in pizza to do it for me. And I, <laughs> and I passed and I thought, you know what? Life is about cheating the system to do the best you can. And if you can't achieve something in a job, there is no way they're going to make you do it. They're going to find someone who can do it and put you in a job that you're better at. <laughs> it's like in radio, no one's asking me to tell the emotional relationship stories. They're not going to be like, well, you can't do that, Michael, so let's make you do it over and over again. And you're like, just stick to your gags, stick to your sketches, tell your funny stuff, talk about how your life's... You know what I mean? In, in, in the real world, people, you don't do things that you can't do. You don't, they don't make you do them. Like, maybe like entry-level stuff, they'll try to get you to figure it out. But if you genuinely can't do that, that's not the job for you. Yeah. You know? That's, I, I wish people told high school kids that. Oh, my, my goal is to walk go to every high school because I remember the stress and my little sister is 17 now. She's just finishing her HSC. She's had about three or four breakdowns this year, like proper breakdowns because of the stress that's on these kids. And, you know, I've no qualms against Rachel Corbett at all, but that article she wrote calling them, you know, overprivileged whinges, we remember our high school exams. You know, they, they're not hard. It wasn't that hard. I think we had two years to prove ourselves. They've got one set of exams that is everything. And I wish I could just tell them all, don't aim for the right degree, aim for a uni. Because once you, if you want to, if you want to, if yeah. tertiary education is in your heart, and a lot of these kids have got, you know, University of New South Wales medicine, I'm like, lower your expectations, <laughs> big fella. Like that's for 17 people in the state. All you want to do is get into communications at Macquarie, and do one year and you've got the equivalent of an OP1 or a 99, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can get into anything. And graze, kids. Graze. I didn't realise I wanted to be a copywriter until I'd done three years of arts. Every single introductory class you could do. I did coding, you know, and I was like, do I want to do coding? In 2004, no, no one wants to do coding. <laughs> now I regret not ever doing right. coding. But, uh, yeah, I wish high school kids could realise that there are – there's not that much pressure. There shouldn't be that much pressure on them. I uh, preach, man. Preach. I have two two questions uh, to, to rewind for a second. W how do you explain what it is to have ADHD to people who don't know what it's like? You know what? It's um, it's part of me is like you don't know. You're just lazy. There's a part of you that goes, you're just being lazy, but you can't control it. Like if someone was to, I used to genuinely fall asleep in class. Like when during math uh, or maybe legal studies as well. But the thing is, I loved economics. I wanted to be an economist. I, I loved it so much, but the, the, the raw math I couldn't do, so I had to not do it. But boring math, I would just, and it wasn't even like I was tired. Just my body was like, it was like an emergency signal. It was like, you're either going to start talking, get in trouble, or let's just fall asleep. And then that would also get me in trouble. It's ADHD is you have an ability to focus on things. You, you can do things you want to do because your brain, there's something in your brain that goes, this is great, I like this. You know, PE, art, drama. Um, but it's also an inability to follow rules in those things that you love. So, yeah, an ADHD kid might love drama. But if it's stand over here in the corner and do this breathing method walk on this class this day and you're like, no, I just want to do theatre sports again. It's just a really fidgety child inside you that normal adults will tell you, just fight it and focus. And the little kid always wins. Mm -hmm. Always wins. It's really annoying. Is it still around? 
Uh, I, I do what I love, so now it doesn't really come out very and much. And what does Ritalin do to you? Oh, Ritalin is the best and the worst, depending on what you want to do. Ritalin, people say Ritalin kills your creativity. It doesn't. Ritalin just allows you to focus. It, it's the king of monofocus. So Ritalin will allow you to write the greatest script ever, but you won't take calls. You won't look outside. You, won't, you know what I mean? If, you, if that's what you've got to do, it will allow you to do it. If, if you've got to write... Uh, a speech, it will allow you to write the best speech you've ever damn written because you'll be so focused on that task that that's all you're going to do. And so Ritalin would make you sit in class. And when they say as long as your creativity, yeah, you're not going to go to a social gathering on Ritalin because, well, you can. If you drink a lot, I think it combines to make it sort of just be a bit like speed. But it, it, it basically allows, it gets rid of your multitasking, mm -hmm. in my opinion, from my experience. And was it a conscious decision to go off it? Uh, I, I turned 18. Yeah. So I, I was prescribed it by a psych that I went well. It's an interesting story. I got my, like I said before, my OP guess. It was 15, which is horrible. Uh, no, sorry, it was 19 to 21. Horrible. Mm. Horrible. The worst is 25. Uh, and I'm, I, I was a brainy kid and I was like, what the, f what is, what is this is insane? And because I'm a sneak, I had to look at the law and the systems and there's something called special consideration. And there's a part of it that says if you get diagnosed with a learning disability and get properly medicated, only your grades from the day you're medicated can be taken into account because you weren't functioning at the right level before. And I figured that out and I went to a psychiatrist by myself. No one knew. I booked it by myself. My dad didn't even know. Uh, I got... I sort of learnt some triggers and some ticks. I went there um, and I sort of just played it up a little bit. Uh, the, the guy's like, yeah, 100%, you got HD. got the Ritalin prescription. I went to school and then for an entire semester, I got nothing but A double pluses. What? In everything. And that was Ritalin's help. You can't do it. I couldn't have done it without that. And I was so stoked because I was like, I'm going to get a great OP now. And I was standing behind the Cyprian Pavilion at our school. It's just a little block right down the bottom. And I was talking to my mates about how I'd gamed the system. I'd worked it all out. And I was, you know, explaining the whole system like I'm doing to you now. And it turns out the head of our school's, uh, like, learning pathways division was standing around the corner having a smoke. She heard every single thing that I said. She came, came around the corner. And it's the first time a teacher had ever sworn at me. And she was like, Michael Beveridge, you manipulative little cunt. I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that this doesn't happen. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I fucked it all up. And I did. It didn't get taken in. Uh, and I got an OP15. They counted my A pluses, and that obviously boosted my score slightly. But the year of ease, like, didn't. So Wild. Yeah. yeah and so I would have got away with it. I went for you snooping <laughs> teachers. My damn mouth. So I had to go to USQ and Toowoomba for a year because that was the only uni that would take me. Oh, my God. Toowoomba. Yeah. Hoiba, the coldest city in the world. I've been everywhere and nothing is colder than Toowoomba. Well, Queensland, I've been told from a friend that grew up in Colorado Springs of all places. That's where a cold where area. Norad is. Mm. That the very coldest winter he ever spent in his life was his first winter in Brisbane because the houses built... For 36 degree, 85% humidity days. Yeah, your Queenslanders right. with the slats at the bottom. Not for the, not for the no, 10 degree cold winter nights when the wind just blows through the room. Mm. It's freezing. 
And uh, people are listening right now hearing us say 10 degree nights. <laughs> like, that's a summer holiday for most people. But it's a different type of cold because you're not used to it. It's not, yeah. nothing, no one's got clothes for it. No one's built for it. It's like when you see a Queenslander in America. They're the one wearing 16 jumpers. Yeah. Because we don't own a coat. No. We don't have a windbreaker. We don't no. have any of that stuff. We I just once have... went two straight years without wearing long pants. Wow, that is the dream. I was doing midnight to dawn, so the coldest part of the night, I was indoors on a radio microphone. So I would leave the studio and get into my car and drive home and then it was fine. Do you regret, not regret, do you, uh, like, feel bad for the lack of mid to, like, mid-dawns now? Oh, well, to, just to it quickly to explain, there was a time in radio where the station between midnight and 6am needed to be, some, it was prior to like very serious automation or networking, mm. someone had to stand there and I would manually turn every, I'd hit go on every CD for six hours, yeah. all right? And it'd be a great way to learn. And there were at a time, a hundred of these jobs around the country, mm. at least, all right? Every country station had a midnight to dawn shift. Uh, depend, doesn't matter how shit you were, but that's where you went. Yeah. Those jobs don't exist. And it's sad. Nowhere in the country do they exist. And it's so important to be shit when no one can see or hear you, <laughs> whatever it is that you do. Yeah. All right? That's why apprenticeships exist. But in radio, it's not theirs. I guess now the apprenticeship is podcasting, but by, they don't have access to the oversight that I did. I had a weekly, and I would have to knock on my PD's door and say, look, I want to air check every week. Yeah. And I would basically, that's basically a PD going, program director going I mean, through. you went to Brizzy though too, which is, that was handy. I mean, you didn't have yeah. to go to Bunbury or bloody yeah. Auburn. I was Dock. very lucky. Yeah. I, I mean, was very lucky. I mean, I also got very lucky. The Like like you say, the apprenticeships now are Big Brother, The Bachelor. I mean, that's really, it, it seems. It does, bo- it does bother me that um, I have a real, I take issue with radio schools that take money off kids um, to give them a piece of paper and then they walk out of there after being told for three years you're good enough to go. Yeah. And they walk into a radio station going, I'll be here for the breakfast shift now, thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> QZ, Kate, your time is done. I've got this piece of paper. Like in when I was a copywriter, the, the best experience you can get isn't going to award school. The best experience you can get is going to a job. And being told, this is shit. Your shit, your shit, your shit. After a year, it's like, mm, you're shit, but... You know, it's it's the only way to learn, really, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, you, you yeah. It's, and it's, the very the very nature of taking money off someone for a radio course, you're going to want to pass them because they're paying you. Well, it's the same at any university these days, yeah. really. You know, I should have been failed at QUT a whole bunch, but it's all about getting people through the door. <laughs> and, you know, it took me – like anyone else would have gone, why is it taking you seven years to graduate? They would have gone, no, mate, you know, Oxford would have got rid of me. Prestigious universities probably would have got rid of me. They're like, mate, you, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, you're a good kid, but you're not passing, and that's what we're all about here. Whereas, yeah. you know, you – yeah, and I've, I love QUT, great uni, but I mean, for for schools like that, it's just all about getting people through the door, I'd imagine. So tell me about um, being on the mic as a teenager. How did you get anywhere near radio? How did that happen? Well, that's weird. Bruno Boucher, who is the, he's, I think he's the head of creative now for uh, Colin Jack, Colin Jackie O. And how did you get on radio with Bruno? Because him and I were such good friends. How old were you? 14, 13. Which radio station? I1197 AM, community radio in Brisbane. Uh, they gave Bruno a show because he was like, I want to do a show. Where was the studio? Jeez, uh, Chelmer somewhere, I think, maybe Orkinflower, somewhere around that area. Uh-huh. Uh, and we went in and he had a, it was, the show was called Speak Up and it was youth politics. Youth uh, politics. Yeah, because I've always been interested in politics. Uh, I've always been a bit of a, a, bit of a lefty, but you know, liberally 
quite fin- financially conservative, but um, and Bruno's straight up liberal. He was a he was in the uh, young liberal. He was the head of the young liberal party. Okay, so in Australia, liberal does not mean liberal. No, very confusing. It's the very, the Republicans. very conservative. Yes. Yeah, uh, and we fuck off. Rev- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. QJs, fuck you. Yeah. Are you brown? We fucking hate you. Exactly. It's like if there's a good, you're Australian if you're white is generally the rule. Yep. Or like Japanese is okay as long as you speak our language. Chinese, no. You know, Italians and Greeks were okay with you now. Oh, now. Yeah. Your cuisine is fantastic. 50 years ago. No, thank you. Um, and yeah, we, we did this show where we had a newspaper. We went through some of the issues and then we spoke about it from a left and right perspective. Wild! Ha- yeah, you know, because we, you know, we were the smart kids at school, but the slightly misbehaving kids as well, you know. Um, and yeah, we would just riff about politics. We would argue, and then our anchor, you know, the seventy-two-year-old dude that was like there helping everyone out, would be like, well, "That's enough, boys. Now for a song." <laughs> and it was it was great, you know. It was really cool. Uh, it was a great way to figure out how to work because. You know when you've got diametrically opposed political views with a friend, it can get full on and you've got to learn to be able to negotiate those views to keep your friendship intact. And Bruno and I have managed to do that for 20 years now. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a great little intro and I didn't touch radio again for another 12, 13 years. How did you get back into it? Uh, I got offered a job. How did they even find you? Where were you? On Big Brother. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's like I say, it's the way that it happens. Uh, and Craig Bruce, who is, you know, the godfather yeah. to me, uh, I, don't, I know that he, you, you were working with him in Adelaide as well. Yeah, yeah. He's the one who gave me all my jobs. You know, he said to me, he's like, mate, we would have found you some way. You know, don't feel bad because you got the job through Big Brother. And I thought, there's, an, there's no way I would have had the confidence to go on radio. Because uh, I remember Jamie, Jamie Dunn and the breakfast team in Brisbane. I mean, they were the iconic show there for so long. Uh, and it was like, no, these people are celebrities. You know, they're crazy good. Uh, and to be given the chance to go straight into a brekkie show in Adelaide uh, was was monumental. And, you know, like I say, I, I, I sort of wish I hadn't gone there because I learnt to suck with 100,000 people listening. It was more than 100,000, but... I uh, know, but I mean, like, for our audience share, maybe 50,000, 60,000 people, you know, listening. Act, actual, act, like, you know, it's a city of a million, but I mean... yeah. There was maybe sixty, seventy thousand people listening to me figure out how to tell a story. You know, I was thrown to the lines, and it was okay. It was a great way to learn. And then I got given weekend brekkie nationally eight months later with Joe Stanley, who's one of the greatest operators in the business in Australia, in my opinion. I, I love her, and that was so great to learn from her too. But 
I was learning in front of everybody and mm. I would have rather I would have rather learn at mid dawn or yeah. in Noosa or, you know, in Townsville or and no disrespect to those places, but they just don't have the population. Yeah. And you can figure out your shit. Uh, and you know, it all sort of fell apart for me because SAFM where I worked, it got blown up. Fuck, it was great six it was great six all over again. It was yeah, it was just Maths turned up. Boom, what's up? And I mean it's not that I couldn't do the job, I thought I could do it great. Uh and I have a lot, you got to, like you, you've got to have a lot of confidence in your ability to do stuff. Uh, but, you know, timing was terrible and the station was on the slide and they went, you know what, we're going to rebrand. You're going to turn it into Hit 107. Mm-hmm. And that means a new brekkie show. Michael, I'm sorry, you know, we can't have a new show with the old show, you know. And I understood that and I said, sure, you know, I, and they said, don't worry, we'll look after you. Went to, moved to Melbourne after that all blew up, started the new night show. Did that for a year, uh, two years, and then that was blown up about two months ago. And then, you know, and it's like, well, Jesus, what do I do now? It's all one of, it's, and I'm sure you've been in those, one of those jobless periods in your life, and it's so tempting to go back to what you used to do and get a normal job. And sometimes you have to if you, if you need to make money. But um, at the moment, because I was, I've got a bit of money saved, I'm just going to be able to hang around for six months and just, do as much knocking, I guess, and as much begging and as much waiting to get a job. And it's one of those iffy things in radio. You can't appear desperate. Mm. The minute you appear desperate, they're like, we don't want you. So I'm just sitting, well, if anyone's listening, I'm not desperate. <laughs> I was talking with it uh, this morning. I did my, my show out of um, Fox FM just down the hall from your old studio, actually, yeah. down on the Triple M floor. And uh, Ed Cavalli does his... Brisbane show out of there. Yeah. And so I walked outside with him and it's just so wonderful to see him, this guy that I first met on Have You Been Paying Attention 10 years ago is this just theatre sports machine. Ed's just, like, isn't he? This extraordinary improv um, actor. How does he look so young? Oh, fuck, it's crazy, right? Yeah. But here he is doing this incredibly successful radio show. He's just done all these Toyota ads. He's killing it on Have You Been Paying Attention. He's doing, and I just said to him, man, it was really great to see you so good. And he goes... But you and I both know that, you know, this is one of those periods when the work is. And it reminded me of something my manager in the States um, taught me. Um, When you get the big job, your bachelor, your, you know, your X Factor, whatever it is, unless you're the news, unless you're the news or survivor, name me one TV show that's never been cancelled. Yeah. All right? It will end. And that's what I always... It will end one day. There's security in radio. I used to say there's security in radio. You know what I mean? We did after uh, I did a – remember the Friday Night Games? Yeah. Uh, we did, I did the version of that for our season. We got cut after five, five, five shows. You know what I mean? I thought that was cool. I was, like, I was on TV for five weeks. Mm. It was amazing. Uh, and I remember always talking to my, my mates who were actors because I was, I was in that Molly show and uh, – or the telemovie – what would they call it? A cinematic tele... tele- miniseries, mate. Min- miniseries. Miniseries. Right. And uh, Sam Johnson and I became mates on that. And, you know, he was... You'll never meet a more interesting person than Sam Johnson uh, and who's probably going to win a Logie this year. He's probably going to rock up wearing shorts and not want it. And he'll probably sell it for 50 bucks to put into his sister's charity. You know what I mean? And he, he would say to me, he said, mate, radio is what I loved doing. Yeah. I'd fall asleep under the Nova desk. And I'd sleep there every night because, you know, I didn't have anywhere to sleep. 
and he because he was like there was just security in it. It was great, you know. I could do it. They believed in me. And the acting stuff, he always said he never wanted to do it because you know it just wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. And it's just confusing to me, you know. I've always wanted to do radio, and then I see people like you, and you know, uh, who else does great hosting? Um, I mean, I'd say Luke Jacobs, but X Factor's done now, isn't it? Oh no, he's done on X Factor. Tundas oh. now does that job. Oh yeah, that's right. And and I see those. Jobs like you had with Australian Idol as well. Yeah. You know, there's just wouldn't it be great to be the host? I always got so much envy of you, handsome, short haired <laughs> guys with a flipping chin. You all, you all had amazing jaws. I'm like, you know, that's got to be a great thing. Sure, Taft is a good friend of mine, and I, he's just built like a host. And I sit there and I look at the host, and I'm like, God damn, you guys are so uh, like, I felt so much jealousy for you guys in the fact that you could just have this amazing ability to get these great hosting jobs. And then I realised, well, it's not that easy. I mean, it's you get two, three seasons into something and then your typecast is something and that yeah. becomes hard to get away from. Yeah, exactly. It's how long has it been since Andrew G? Oh, God. 2009? And how long has it been since Australian Idol? 2009. And that's, oh, Andrew G was 2008? Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, Idol was 2009. That's almost 10 years ago. Yeah, and people still, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's wild. And that's what I love about radio, the anonymity. <laughs> you know, the beautiful anonymity. Having been unemployed a few times in my career, yeah. um, one of the things that I, I gained solace from, especially the last time when uh, there's, there's a phrase that is bandied about in the circles like I travel and find humility before humility finds you, is that... I pay that. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I, I got humbled. I yeah. got humbled. There I was. Uh, no, Take 40 Australia went away. Uh, lo- I'm sorry, Hot Hits went away. Bondi Rescue went away. I lost both jobs in 12 hours. Yeah, wow. And uh, I was in New York City, like a, pile, a place where pretty much you, you feel a heat in your back pocket. It's because your wallet's on fire because yeah. it costs 100 bucks just to live for an hour there. And um, thankfully the, the guy that was kind of guiding me through life at the time said, well, the great thing about you not doing anything now is that you can do anything. You can reshape yourself in whatever it is you want to do. How do you find that creative freedom? It's pretty frightening for the first hour or two, but then, so you're in this position now. Yeah, so, so I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm just What like, is what? it that you're going to do? <laughs> it's, it's Because we live in this age of independent digital broadcasting. I mean, look at me right now. I mean, the time when you started in radio, when I started in radio, you needed a couple of hundred thousand dollars in a broadcasting license to do what we're doing. Yeah. All right. But with less than a thousand bucks worth of gear, mm. We are, um, you know, broadcasting to a, a, f- a decently sized audience. So what are you going to do? What are you going to create? What are you going to do to create your way out of this? Well, we've got, we've got a couple of things. And it's, it, you know what I like? I always used to say as a copywriter and, or doing any sort of creative work, give me boundaries because I'm great within boundaries. If you give me complete, like imagine if someone said to you, Osh, do something creative. You'd be like, well, fuck, what do you mean? Like music art? Or if they're like, give us the funniest song you can think of in 30 seconds. Okay. You'd be like, okay, that provides some scope. So for weeks I was like, what do I want to do that provides with scope? Because the YouTube show that I was doing, uh, YouTube Hits, which went really well, you know, like you, for the platform it went great. We met a lot of these great YouTubers who we learned a lot from. And we're like, well, let's, have, let's move into the YouTube category. But I hate YouTubers in general. You know, they're 14 and they're millionaires. I hate them. I'm like, how dare you be so successful and be 14 and just worry about, like, I feel it's all very, I'm getting to that age where I, you know, I get over the likes on Instagram and I get over, you know, trying to look good and I'm now more focused on being You can't fun. go to Coles with a trolley full of groceries and pay with likes. You can't. Not Although I know some people who can. Well, that's because they monetize yeah. and they sell 
a portion of their authenticity. Loving hashtag Coles's new range of hashtag yeah, Heston's but goods. They, a little part of their authenticity disappears every time they do that. Yeah. So you've got to be super careful. Very careful because your audience is lost if you start selling to them. So I'm right. <laughs> I love rapping more than anything. Comedy raps were like my golden radio. And so we're doing a comedy rap album at the moment, just called Things I Like. One of the tracks is about me goreng. You know, just, just basically. How good's me goreng? Amazing. Amazing. Up for a nasty goreng, but that's just me. Well, I dated a vegan for a year and finding this good place that did a vegan nasty goreng was the greatest discovery of my life. Because is it, it here in Melbourne? No, I was in Brizzy. Uh, where? In, in a food court in Chermside. Right. Yeah. I'm on it. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll find out for you. Um, and then we're doing a show uh, at the moment. We're just in, like, just finishing up pre-production now. It's like the easiest way to describe it is Todd Sampson's brain hack, but for pieces of shit. So the idea is I've just turned 30. And I remember when you would have turned just 30, there's a part of us that thinks mortality is starting to kick. And it's like, you're not a whippersnapper anymore. You can't sprint. There the majority of the football players on the team you support are younger than you. Yeah. That's, that's wild, the, isn't it? When yeah. football players are younger than you, you start to feel old. Wait till doctors are younger than you. That's fucking scary. I haven't seen a doctor. I'm at the age where I just avoid seeing doctors because mm. I don't want them to be like, you need help. You're going to have to, mate. I know. <laughs> it's not left knee, right knee anymore. No. It's good knee, bad knee. <laughs> and it's shit. I hate yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, so we're just doing a thing basically where it's called Michael in a Month. And because I've got all the spare time and I've got a bunch of money put aside, the idea is if – you as an s- average person dedicate one month of your life to something, what can you achieve? So the first one is going to be how physically, how, can, how much can I physically change my body for the better in one month? And w- not safely, like not doing things legally, like let's go all out and see what we can achieve in one month. Are you doing that right now? Uh, no, no, we start in about a week and a half. So we've got, you know, our nutritionists, our dietitians, our PTs, our our doctors who are warning against things. It's, it's. But what about when it comes, are you like going to seriously like get me back on the dexamphetamines? Like, what are you going to do? Um, well, I did a trial run two weeks ago of one week to see if I could physically do it. And I can, when you have nothing on, you can actually just do a lot. Sleep and diet, I thought would be the hardest. It's quite easy because I was a student for seven years, so I can live on nothing. You know, I can, I can do that. And it's going to be exciting to see sort of what that is. And then, then we're going to try pitching that and do it for another series of five other things we've got. Basically, if you dedicate one month of your life training to be a football player, how good can you get? Right. Could you play Div 1? Could you, as an adult male, we always think, you know what, I never really dedicated my life to cricket, but I reckon if I gave it a nudge, I could make the balls. Or learning Who's how to- we? A lot of just a lot average thirty year old dudes who sort of never really push themselves. No, but I mean, who's we? Who's making the show? Oh, my friend Marty Smiley. Who? Oh. Yeah, yeah, he's helping me shoot. Uh, Christian Hull. I don't know if you know him. He's a producer at Fox. He's gonna help me edit. Um, it's it's just a little small team because uh, I don't have enough money to pay an actual production crew. But that's how things happen, man. Exactly. And, and so what I'm grateful for is that you are you are creating something that you're super interested in. Mm. Even if it doesn't get up, you no. go to bed at night going, I did something that I feel good about today. <laughs> I haven't eaten in a week, but that's good. No, but you know what I mean. I know, yeah. It's, it's about creating something that – because here's the thing. In radio, anytime I do a sketch or anytime I do a, a, you know, a bit, I'd finish it and I'd go, I only had four minutes to work on that. And what I achieved was a B plus and that's great. Whereas the scary thing for me is giving your all 
And if the result is in an A+, plus, you start going, like with the long division again, maybe I'm not that good. And I think that's always really scary. Through life, I've always given 60% at the last minute, knowing full well that if it goes wrong, I didn't do it with enough time, but never achieving my full potential. And now I think it's a realization, well, some days you're just gonna have to give 100%. And if you don't do well, take that as a learning experience and then try again and again and again. And I think I've avoided the reality of maybe not being as great as I think I am because I didn't want to learn that. And now I'm, I'm, you know, it could suck shit. It could be terrible. And I might have to go either pull myself up and go, let's do it again, but different, or let's try something new. Or I give up and I go, you're not suited for the industry. And I think that's something you've got to figure out. Everyone's got to figure out in whatever that they do. I'm really grateful to hear you say that mm. because it is a, a something that I do relate to. And it wasn't until I, I got over to the States and I realized that I had been pretty much coasting. Yeah. I've been coasting on being smart enough to get by for a long time. But when it came down to actually creating the work and creating the work for myself to do, I had not put any effort in whatsoever. And it was only in unemployment that I found that. And once I started to put that 100% effort that you're talking about in, yeah. the other thing that John, the guy that talked about the your show will one day get cancelled, He's got this really good one. I say, only you know how hard you've worked to make your dreams come true. Yeah. And it's fucking goody. As when he told me that, yeah. I was like, the reason I got Bachelor is, and, and allow, I got a second bite of the cherry as a TV host in this country. Good fucking luck if you get more than one show. Yeah. Right? And I've been now on two, which is mind blowing. Yeah. I, two iconic shows. Yeah, I know, right? I created a dating show for me to host and I pitched it to networks. And Channel 10 bought it in the room. Hold on, you came up with The Bachelor? No, I did not. Oh, I was like, what the fuck? I came up with a dating show, oh, an in-studio-based sure. dating show. Right, okay. Because we hadn't seen an in-studio dating show for a long time, not since Perfect Match. Yeah. Um, and so I came up with a dating show. We went into pre-production. We went into development on this dating show that I was going to come down to Australia and shoot. About 10 weeks after I pitched it and we were in development and we were working, about 10 weeks later, they called me up and said, listen, we've just got hold of The Bachelor. You've just been talking about doing this dating show down here. How do you feel about hosting this show instead? I was like, boom, that was it. Yeah. And that's, that was it. And then through that, doing that for one or two years, and then I met Audrey um, and I realised, well, what am I doing sitting around scratching myself in America for when there's, I found this woman that I'm in love with and a beautiful daughter and this job. And so I came back to uh, Sydney and I sat in front of the very people I worked with and my first week of radio, yeah. uh, Craig Bruce and Irene Hume, mm. and I said, guys, I'm coming back to Australia in 2016. I'd love to do radio again. Where do you think I can fit in? And they helped me find this job in Brisbane. I know. And so through – and now I work so fucking hard. Mate, there's – I'm trying done, to get it right. Well, Brecky Radio is hard. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to do. I, I think it's the best lifestyle in the world. I love waking up at 4.30 and I love getting in. And I love being done by 10.30. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I, I love, I mean, 10.30 I say loosely, obviously. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really like going to bed before my 12-year-old. I uh, See, I go to bed at 12.01 and I do four hours and then I have a nap from 11 to 1. That's how I sort of did it. Because, oh, the middle of the day nap. Yeah, I was just yeah. sort of said I can't continue being who I am if I'm going to bed at 9 p.m. Got it. Because that, that's, that's just not who I am. Okay. Uh, and so I found a way vaguely around that. But that's because I, I didn't have much on during the day. Right. You've got other things to deal with. And the idea of doing – I remember when they signed you in Brisbane because – Did we both go for that job? 
we're a totally different person. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was never, ever going to be, uh, I was gunning for that job, but not in your role. No, no, no. And it, it was going to be, a, I thought it was going to be a completely new show. I had no idea, but that's yeah. what I, because I, I, I love Abby and I love Stav, but I also knew I could never work with Stav because we're the same person. You go for the same bit. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I... That's what Husey always says. It's okay to be also funny, but you can't be the same kind of funny. Yeah, you know, uh, and I remember they went up a bunch of different times and Adrian Bryan at the time was just like, mate, we've got to add a serious element, like, you know, a bit of gravitas to the sitch. And I said, that's not me, mate. Yeah, (laughs) right. And I I would love to try, but it's just not me. Uh, And then I heard you got the gig and I was like, well, I was like, shit, Brisbane is... Fucking put like Osher in Brisbane, like it's like Ed Cavalier in Brizzy. I go, they're too good for Brizzy. <laughs> no disrespect to Brizzy, it's my favorite city in the whole world. I, I love it more than anything. And you know, I hope to one day work there. You know, one day, like you, you grow up listening to B one hundred and five. Yeah, and it's like, geez, I'd love to go back there. Um, but yeah, you know, when I heard that you got that gig, I was like, and then when I heard you say you want to take it to number one, I was like, oh, good, because I didn't know. Oh yeah, how long? I was like, I hope he's not just going to be a fly in. And then do the next next best like the next thing that comes no, along. I, I I know that I'm not good enough to be in a bigger market. I know that I need to. I've I've hosted breakfast as a as a fill in. I've yeah. hosted breakfast from time to time for three four weeks at a time. I've never had a permanent <laughs> breakfast gig. Yeah. Um. So I know I've got a lot to learn. And I'm really grateful to be 42 and learning something. It's really nice. Yeah, well, if you, they all. I mean, I hate the wanky of it, but when people say, you know, if you learn something new every day. You, you know, you're always growing. And yeah. I, I don't think anyone can learn something new every day. But I mean, I always say if you if you'd have a groundbreaking learning experience every week, I think that's all the that's, that's the best good. you can hope for. Um, yeah. So when I, and the, yeah, when I heard you were there, I was just like, Jesus, that's going to be crazy good. And then when I saw you say that thing, thing that you were like, you know, I'm going to take it to number one. I was like, this is fantastic. That's what I really want to do. Because I don't like Ash Kippen Lutzi. <laughs> <laughs> I have no ill will. Radio is the hardest fuck industry to stay in. Oh, they've got their mates of a whole bunch of mates of mine. But I remember my first ever radio interview. They just went at me. They went at me. They went so hard at me. And I was like, oh, my heart. And, you know, and they're just so good at what they do now. To, to, hear, to hear you say that you're now at a part of your life where you have to give 100%. Yeah. Or... It's it's nothing. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because it's a it's an important time because it wasn't until I because I like I told you man I cruised for a long fucking time yeah and it wasn't until people saw in me oh he's taking it seriously now he's now v- worth us giving this opportunity to because I used to gnash my fucking teeth that I wasn't how come I'm hosting the fucking Arias fuck those guys da, 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 da. There was no way I was anywhere near good enough, stable enough or sober enough to host that fucking massive job. Yeah. Right? It wasn't until people saw me take myself seriously and people saw me put my own effort in mm. that they went, oh, okay, now we can trust him with this. We can give him the reins. What do you reckon the negative connotations were or the thoughts about you were? What do you reckon that what was holding you back back then? Oh, I know that I was, I was full of myself. I was unreliable and I, I, I phoned it in a lot of the time. I know that for a fact. So I reckon I, I, I'm... I don't think I'm super full of myself. I would have a lot of other negative, but unreliability is a big one for me. Uh, that I yeah, you were 22 of... minutes late. Yeah, but they didn't let me in. They didn't know where to go. But yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I can be late. I'm late a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Osho, for throwing me under the bus, you Mate. bastard. Um, and I'm, I, I sit down, I'm like, how do, I, how do you change the connotations? How did you change that? Um, I got sober. I got so I don't sober. Even, people think I drink a lot. I don't drink very much at all. Well, I had to get sober and I had to get my shit together and I had to basically go through 
part of the process of, of getting sober is you go through um, your life basically yeah. and you shine a very bright light in all the dark corners and you, you basically go step by step, day by day even, of your whole fucking life and you go, where did I do something wrong to another person? Oh, fuck, I did this thing. And then you write it down, write it, write it, write it, write it, write it all down. And then it eventually breaks down into a couple of categories and you realise, oh, it's the same thing every time. Yeah. I do the same fucking thing every time I'm faced with adversity. Uh, for my first, any problem in my life comes from um, fear, uh, grandiosity, worthlessness, and control. Which is so polarizing. The, the, isn't it? the four biggest things yeah. are like um, fear, which is also manifesting as anger, also manifests as jealousy. Yeah. Um, grandiosity is I'm better than all of you. I don't need, you know, don't talk to me like that. I'll talk down to all of you. Uh, worthlessness is like, oh, I shouldn't belong here. I don't belong here. Da, da, da. And control is like, how come you don't know, don't do what I want you to do? All right. So, how do you, how do you then uh, combat that? The opposite of fear is love. How do I show love to the situation? How do I show the opposite of grandiosity is humility? Mm-hmm. How can I be humble in the situation? How can I feel the opposite of worthlessness? It's worthiness. No, I'm worthy of your job in breakfast radio. This, I'm worthy of it. You are. I, for the first years of Idol, I thought they gave me the job as a favour. That's how worthless I felt about myself. It's that imposter right? syndrome, I guess. That- yeah, absolutely, 100%. And control is the opposite of control is acceptance. Um, why did I lose um, Hot Hits Live from LA? I, I lost it because I, I aged out of the demo. Totally fair enough. Yeah. I give into it. And so once I started to look into those things that I was doing to hold myself back, once I started to live, actively live and make opposite choices to those things, catching myself, go, oh, I've just done that thing. Stop. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I know I just said this. I can see that that might have made you feel this way. Mm. What I would really like is for this and I would catch myself and then try to make it better in the moment. Once I started doing that as a matter of course, Everything changed. Everything changed. So was that a sit-down moment that took a period of time or is this still going today? Uh, every day. Yeah. Every fucking day. I still fuck up all the time and I still have these, you know, hardwired neural pathways that still want to tell me I'm better than everyone. How come I'm not number one? How come, you know, fucking this person's got that job or that person's skinnier than me or fucking whatever? And then I have to say, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That is an old me that I no longer yeah. am and I have to, you know, it, it gets quicker. You get to be able to process it through quicker. But I still, I'm a selfish prick sometimes and I'm a fucking stupid idiot and, I, and, and it, it's, it, it's really fucked up. I mean, it, you, it's, to me, I mean, imperfection, we all, I, I would hate someone who is perfect. I hate p- perfect people. And There's I, no such thing. Perfection no, exactly. doesn't exist in nature. No, and I think someone, my little sister actually sent me this flipping, it wasn't a meme but it's just a Facebook thing and it was a, piece of paper I mean, you might know it and it just has a black dot in the middle and it says what do you see I got a black dot she's like well you see 0.01% of the page is black dot the rest is white space mm-hmm. and whiteness and, and you're focusing on the negative things in your life ah. and right now I sit there and I, I sometimes it's hard to get out of bed this morning not this morning but it, you know sometimes it's you know depression and anxiety I haven't dealt with for a long time and now that I'm unemployed yeah and the feelings of worthlessness and the self-loathing because some uh, that deep down you know what went wrong. Deep down you're like, I'm fucking late for everything because for some reason I don't see lateness as an issue but other people do and that transfers into other things and you sit there and you're like, what the fuck, what, how can I change this? And that's when the anxiety starts coming into play because you're like, well, can I ever change this perception? Can I? Like, yeah, you can though. You can. You can wake up every day and actively choose. You notice it going by. 
Yeah. You notice this, oh, that's that thing. Okay, that's just me doing that thing. I don't do that anymore, all right? Mm. I do something else now with my, you know, the way, I, the way I live. And you get to actively choose every day. You get to actively choose every single day what kind of, what, what you're going to do with your day. And that's the most incredible thing about being human. And you're at the most extraordinary time of your life because you are not required by some sort of job to maintain a status quo of persona. You can make all the changes you want right now. Part of this 30 days thing, part of this month that you're you mm. know, on a mission for a month, how much can you change as a, as a human, you know? I this mean, is, I have, I, it's, it's not something that I would, that is going to be focused on, but part of me is thinking, fuck, what if I could get up before midday every day? You know, the idea of getting up and doing something and being active. And I'm like, because all my friends with mental health, I mean, depression issues go, exercising and being active is the best thing without for you. Without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. And the hardest part is that period between I feel shit and get, let's go do something. Because all the little kids inside you or the, the demons are just saying, sit down, eat a pack of chips, watch something on TV, self-loathe, self-hate. You know, all of those bad things that sort of, I guess, are at the crux of your issues. And if you can push through that barrier, I always think. But that's just a habit. Yeah. That's just a habit loop that lives within you. It's and a shitty one. As a, a human being, you have the ability to, to, to transcend, your, transcend your reactive self. You can transcend those thoughts because it's a thought like any other thought. You can change your mind. As a human being, you have the ability to change your mind. Yeah. You have the ability to change what that means. And you have the ability to go, thank you, lazy me, who wants me to sit down. Though He's I'm, very comfortable, lazy he me. Is. Oh, I tell you what, he wears this, sweatpants forever. This me, and the trick is, just tr it's like when I'm writing. All right? yeah. I'm sure this is the same thing with you. I'm just going to write a line. I'm going to write one line. I'm not going to stare at this massive empty page. I'm yeah. just going to write the first line. That's all I'm going to do. Trick my brain. Like when I do the dishes, I'm going to wash one dish yeah. and see how I go. I'm going to wash one dish. But then I'm like, well, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the same with um, exercising. You're like, I'll just get out the front door. I'm just going to put my shoes on and go out the front door. Put shoes on is a big step for me. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I, I know first, what you mean. When I first lost a heap of weight, my mission was to walk to the mailbox, which was 12 metres from my front door. Heady goals. And then I, well, <laughs> that was how small it had to be. I understand. I was I'm completely there with you. I was fucking fat, unemployed and just desolate. So it was like all I wanted to do was walk from here to the litter box, which is from here to the front door of the hotel room, right? And once I got there, I was just like, I'm just going to keep walking. I'm not going to turn around. Yeah. And then I got to the next yard. I went, I might just walk another yard, like the next front yard. Yeah. And I walked across three front yards and I'm like, I might just keep walking. But inside, I was tricking myself, the one that wanted to turn around and go and sit and watch Sally, Jesse, Raphael or whatever kind of trash television was on at the time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and just keep walking. And I, I just did a walk for 10 minutes and then I walked back and I felt amazing. And it just a little bit more every day. So it's just about what's the most, what's the minimum viable product? What's the smallest goal you can set yourself about getting out of bed before before midday? Set it, set your alarm for eleven fifty-five. Yeah. The next day, set it for eleven fifty. That's it. I think one of the the most interesting things when it comes to being in this period of your life is you start. Did, did you ever feel that there was a persona that you were created, that, that you had put on you or you had developed at a young age and that you sort of felt obliged to keep up? Yes, absolutely. And I feel the same with me. Like I'm this erratic, crazy, funny, idiot dude that's always, you know, a bit late and always a bit this and that. And sometimes I sort of justify it to myself and I'm like, well, it's my personality, it's my character. And it's so hard to get away from that. 
because you think, no, this is how I got my job in the first place. Mm. This is who I am. And I remember I had someone say to me, because they heard they, on Facebook, I, you know, posting a lot about funny things that happened to me at the gym for that trial week I did at the gym. And they're like, who is this gym person? No one gives a fuck about this gym dude. Like, go back to being... Cr and I sat there and I was like, I think this is who I want to be now. I think I'm sick of being... It's okay. I'm sick of being the, the idiot. And it's not the idiot and it's not the fool... But it's the me, I guess, you know. The, the self-deprecating. Self-deprecating, kind of missing a flight, losing my wallet. so you don't have to be. Yeah, oh, that's Michael. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, was, I think I'm, I was, for so long I've been hiding behind this personality that, you know, content directors put on me and, and yeah. producers put on me. You know, they're like, Michael, this is what we're going to do and, and then you just fuck it up, okay? And I'd be like, okay. You know, yeah. and then there's a part of me in the inside being like, you know, I'm a fucking talent. Like, you know, I'm a smart person. Why would I fuck this you up? You have an opportunity to, uh, trust me, an aggressive relaunch and a, an aggressive rebrand. <laughs> I need a rebrand. <laughs> it does work. Yeah. Change, change your name. It fucking works. Uh, you have no business. You have no business not getting back into, because you're, you're too smart to not be in broadcasting at a, at a high level. And you have no business not getting your voice out there in a larger way. All mm. right. It, it, you have been given what you've been given. And uh, I personally, you know, feel that you, you, you almost have an obligation to the rest of us to get out there and say this stuff, all right, to certainly go and do that political stuff that you were doing when you were a kid. Um, the really important thing to remember I found is that there's parts of the thing that made you good at what you do mm. that you can keep. Yeah. All right? And all that stuff will still be there, how quick you are, how smart you are, how you think about the world, how you can find the funny in a situation, those things you can, you can keep around. The other things that don't serve you, you can leave behind because there's enough of that. that ultimately, that's the kernel of what makes you good at what you do, all right? And you can keep those things. Right. You, can, you don't – the other stuff – Part it, of me fears that if I – it's like if I get a haircut and I start waking up in the morning, is it going to go? No. I guess I don't know. No, it's not. No. Part of, part of me feel like – You if, cut if, your hair. How did that feel? Oh, it's great. I've got it skin tight. It's the shortest it's ever been. Yeah, it's a nice little fade at it's the so back good. there. Oh, it's so good. Oh, so good. It's so freaking – you should have seen it yesterday. It was even shorter. But part of the thing, like, and I say it on this show all the time, you know, um, being – when I got diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, um, my doctor was like, look, there's parts of this that – there's a reason that you are successful at what you do because you have this thing mm. that absolutely fucking lutely will not stop until the job is done. Fantastic. I wish – give me – right? hand over some of that, man. But it can be really tough sometimes when I obsess on the wrong things. It can become like the Death Star laser that, you know, destroys older arm but pointed back at itself, all right? Yeah. When it, when it, because it obsesses on, on horrible things. He says, look, you know, you've got, this, you've got this brain that is really good at this one particular thing and that's why you can keep that stuff. All the other stuff about it being against yourself and stuff like that, that's when we can manage it. But when it's focused on what you want to do – Buddy, you've got a superpower. It's like Ritalin. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little self, like self chemical that you've when it developed. wants to work. Yeah, when it's developed, when it's focused on the right thing, you know, it's a, an amazing thing. Just uh, break it down into little tiny bits. But you've got to you've got to ask yourself where it is you want to go. Like you're not going to get in a car. I can't drive. I don't have my learners, so you know. All right. I'll well, let's just let, let's, you've been. In, you're <laughs> As aware a metaphor, of, yes, I'll take this. You're aware of automobiles. Mm. You're aware that you consider them, and they can take you places too far to walk. Trajectories. Yes. Okay. Very good. <laughs> you don't get in a car and just go. We're just going to drive. You know where you're going before you get in the car. All right. Yeah. You. you and now, say for example, we we're going to drive from here to Toowoomba. All right. You're going to punch it into the GPS. After I punch you in the head for driving to Toronto. No, 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 but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. You're going to punch it into the GPS, okay? 
So you've got to know where you're going, all right? So even if it's three months, six months, and a year from now, okay? Yeah. So what's the three-month goal? What's the six-month goal? What's the year goal? And what are the little tiny decisions you can make along the way that keep you on that course, all right? And that's once you break that stuff down and then you take only the things that serve you with you, mm. you give yourself this incredible gift of even though you might not be getting paid for what you do, you go to bed at night going, I've, I'm on the way. Wherever it is that I'm going, I'm on the way. And do you think that internal positivity will manifest in other people noticing and seeing? Absolutely. Every single time I've been unemployed, yeah. every time I've been at that point in my career, that's exactly what I did and it always worked. It always works. Mate, you've got it. just, I'm glad you're doing this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're in this space. You're in a very exciting time in your life. Yeah, and I think the inability to have someone telling me what to do is the first time I've ever had that. I always said I never want to be the director, I always want to be the actor. And now it's in a situation where I'm the only person controlling the outcome. And yeah, like I say, it's scary to put in that 100%. You're the CEO of Michael Industries. Beverage industry. <laughs> Stock prices are not good at the moment. <laughs> but you get to be, you get to be the, the CEO of your own career. All yeah. Right? So you get, to, uh, you know, you break yourself down into what, you know, what's my R&D division? What do I, you know, what's my, you know, sales division? Am I, you know, am I going out there? Am I cold calling? Am I sending emails? Am I keeping relationships with the people that I know in radio? Am I maintaining those relationships? Am I, what am I doing on, on this side of things? Am I, am I, uh, you know, skilling up in any particular area? Do I, is there anything, do I need to know how to edit? Do I need to learn how to do this? Do I need to learn how to do that? You're the only one that's in charge of that stuff now. Mm. And... Yeah. If, if giving you 60% has gotten you here, just to fucking imagine what giving nearly <laughs> double will give you. Yeah. Well, how much do I owe you now for <laughs> this session? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing, but I've got to take my fiancé out for lunch. Well, you do that. She's fallen asleep during our podcast. When you were saying all that nice stuff about her, I was like, looked over, but she's asleep. And I'm like, no, you're going to have to... I'll tell her that you said it. She's the best. I'm really fucking lucky. All right, bro. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, I look forward to a year from now. Yeah, well, look... And you know what's the most exciting thing is I think I, I don't know what's going to happen in a year from now. That's great. You know, so who knows but where I'll be. Only you know how hard you've worked to make that dream come true, man. And now you're at this point where you're like, oh, shit, it is on me. Yeah. But it's okay because now you have control over it. If I fuck up, it's on me. Yeah. Which is... But if you fucking rule, it's also on you. Yeah, I guess. And that's the best part. Can no. we turn around? Yeah. Go, I built it's this. I'm fucking terrified. That's all I'm going to say. But I mean, yeah. Like, what are you more terrified of? Are you more terrified of living the same you that you've lived for the past 10 years or are you more terrified of making a small change? I, I, think it's, I don't think it's a small change. I think it's going to have to be a big change. Getting out of bit five minutes earlier. Oh, I mean, there's a, that's, that's scratching the surface. There's, okay. a, there's an element of change in my life that, you know, I need to do. And I think, but are you, are, you more t- are you more afraid of living... It's like the Matrix, man, when he stops the car under the bridge and opens the door and she's, Trinity stops him and says, you know that road. You've been down that road before. Mm. Are you sure you want to go down there? You know where that road leads. Are you more terrified of living the same day over again? I listened to your last podcast and you made a Matrix reference at the beginning. <laughs> Did you watch it after you said you had to watch no, it? No, I just watch it. I watch it about twice a year. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Um, yeah, you know what? The idea of living the life that I live now is so comfortable and it's so calming because I know that worse comes to worse, I can get a job in copywriting and I go back to doing what I do and I could be fine. People could tell me how they want their creative to look and I provide them an outcome and then it'd be all right and I go off and I go get drunk and I go see some mates and then I do it all again that week. And part of me is like, geez, that'd be easy. But deep down, I know that's not what I want 
And deep down you know that's not the answer. And the reality is that you know, and you wouldn't know because only I know, I know the change that needs to happen and it's huge. To change people's perceptions of me, you know, I've lost jobs because of perception and it sucks because like you say, with success it's on you and with failure it's on you. And I'm like, no one's telling me to be late. No one is making me miss things. No one's making me be eight minutes late for a deadline and thinking that it's okay. That's on me. And to change that isn't just getting out of bed early. To change that is to fucking go to Mount, like do a retreat, Bro, look inside yourself. How do you, if you were to look at every single piece of food you're going to eat from now to Christmas, oh, all right, it'd be a mountain as big as this room. Yeah. But you eat it a bite at a time. Yeah. Every massive, every marathon I've run, every long bike ride I've done is one pedal, one step at a time. So it's just one tiny thing. It's one tiny thing every day is all it is, man. It's not I have to change. It's not that paralysis where you're like, I'll, I'll never be able to run a marathon, so I'm never even going to lace my shoes up. Yeah. All right? you, you train for a marathon. You start training yeah. for a marathon by going for a walk. Yeah, I know what you're saying, I guess. And I think, I mean, it's obtuse for me to not see the long term to, and have that, you know, yes, it's pedal, yes, it's a step, but you do know that you're doing 50,000 of them. That's okay. And that's okay. Yeah, like I'm saying, it's okay, but... I know the outcome is going to be a difficult road, but it's something that I have to do if I choose to. But what's at the end of that road? I think it's something good. I don't think you if see, I... You keep talking about this deep down thing yeah. and the deep down wants something different than what you're currently getting. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be all right, man. <laughs> and I'm always here for you. Thanks, It's going to be okay. I th- I, look, I think I guess I haven't really spoken to anyone who... Just does a reality check. <laughs> I think a lot of my friends are enablers <laughs> in the way they're like, you're great, man. Things will be sick. It'll be excellent. <laughs> no, people love you, dude. Oh, you're great. But the reality is that's, that's like people don't tell you what you really need to hear sometimes, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but this has been welcoming. So thanks, Osh. Mate, it's going to be good. It's going to be an exciting year for you. Yeah. I think it will be. I think uh, if I give 100%, then things will turn out. Shit, man. If you give 65, <laughs> you'll get a different result to what you're getting. No, because I'll start thinking, oh, I'll just do 65% now. It's okay. Yeah. All right, we'll start with 65 and see how we go. Do that. All right. I'm going to take your photo, okay? Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, man. That was Michael Beveridge. You can find him on Twitter at MickeyB273, M-I-C-K-Y-B-273. If you feel like this show has brought you anything, you can give back um, with a one-time give or an ongoing give at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash O-S-H-E-R. For as little as five bucks a month, you can help this show come to air and get X access to exclusive episodes and an exclusive podcast feed that I am trying as hard as I can to maintain as often as I possibly can maintain. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I couldn't make this show without you until I talk to you next week. Look after yourself. Just do it a day at a time. Just do it a day at a time. All you got to do is get to the end of the day with just trying to be as good as you can to other people and then get to bed at night. You don't have to do tomorrow. You don't have to do next week. Just today. Just from now until bedtime. Just try to be as good as you can to other people and as good as you can to yourself. And that's it. All right, team. Thanks for listening. Until we talk next time, sleep well. 
dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 